And today we continue in our study through 1 Corinthians. If you're new to State College Assembly, whether you're online, you found us online, or you're here in the room with us, we, one of the things that we do is we spend time in God's Word and we, really, we go slowly through God's Word and our intent is to allow God's Word to go through us. Uh, so we've been spending time in the letter of 1 Corinthians and really looking at it and looking at how God is using Paul to address issues in the church and finding how it relates to us today. One of the things, the topics that I'd like to talk with you about this morning is the topic of deception. One of the consistent teachings that we see in scripture is the warning of deceptions and the example of how deception can, can play with our minds and affect and influence our thinking and affect and influence our living. We see it as early as in the Garden of Eden with, with Adam and Eve and with Satan coming as a serpent. We're going to look at that story in greater detail in just a minute. We see it later throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel and the different nations coming around and the deceptions that came and how in the end it led the Israelites, God's people, astray and it led them into compromise and it led them uh, into things that God never intended for them as his children to be a part of. Jesus warned of deception and he warned of it coming in the last days and we'll look at one of the things that Jesus said about that in just a little bit. But the, the very clear picture for us is that deception is one of the tools in Satan's toolbox. And that it's a tool that he loves to use specifically, he loves to use it on the world, but he loves to specifically use it on followers of Jesus Christ to try to manipulate their thinking and try to manipulate their understanding and distort their perspective of who God is. And so this morning, as we continue looking through the letter of 1 Corinthians, um, I want to take some time and just share with you some things about deception. I feel like there's a number of specifics that we could deep dive into when it comes to looking at deception and understanding it. Uh, but this morning, I just want to give you uh, five very general things about deception and understanding it and things that we can then do to guard our hearts against deception and keeping our hearts open. But first, let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through 23. Paul says this, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and yours are Christ and Christ is of God. And so five things to keep in mind when it comes to deception. The first thing that I would simply point out, and it comes right from verse 18, is the reality that everyone is vulnerable. Everyone is vulnerable. Look at verse number 18, just the very beginning. It says, do not deceive yourselves. It says, do not deceive yourselves. And when, if you remember, as we've been looking through the letter of Corinth, Paul is talking to real believers in real time in a meeting in a house church. And the city of Corinth was a Corinth that was a number of, of things that were trying to influence the church and really was influencing the church. But one of those was the, the religious arrogance and the intellectual arrogance in the city of Corinth. That individuals were so caught up on who they were and what they knew and who they followed that they, they began to then uh, create boundaries and borders and really isolate themselves from others. And so Paul first points out that, that when it comes to dealing with deception, that every single person is vulnerable. There's no level of wisdom or insight or knowledge that you receive where you all of a sudden become immune to being deceived. And when it comes to, to deception and the way that Paul talks about deception in the New Testament, the way he writes about it at different places and different points, 
The word that Paul uses to talk about deception is a word that, that speaks of something being cheated, someone being cheated of something, or something being spoiled. And so when it comes to understanding deception and the reality that every single person, every single one of us is vulnerable to deception, it's the reality that the enemy's intent, his purpose, his aim in your life is to deceive, to cheat you of things that God wants in your life, to spoil the blessing of God upon your life. Jesus said in John 10.10, he talked talking about Satan and the way Satan works, he says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so whenever the enemy comes and he works to bring deception into our lives, his primary aim is to manifest his nature in your life, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If he can destroy the blessing of God upon your life, he'll do that. If he can destroy your perspective of self, he'll do that. If he can destroy your image of who God is and his love for you, he'll do that. If he can steal and rob you of things in your life that, that give things that God wants you to have, he'll do that. If he can rob you of your testimony, he'll do that. The enemy loves to spoil the things of God in the lives of the children of God. That's how he works. That's his nature. That's what he does. And so when it comes to deception, we need to realize that it's rooted in the way and the function that the enemy works, that he works to spoil, he works to steal, and he works to destroy. Jesus spoke of deception, and he spoke of it specifically when it comes to the last days. When you look in Matthew chapter 24, there's a number of warnings that Jesus gives when it comes to recognizing the last days and recognizing the end times. But he says this, look in verse 24. He says, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the, the elect. He says, messiah, false messiahs and pro, false prophets will appear and will perform great signs and wonders to deceive. That he talks about in the end times, one of the things that we need to be mindful of and alert to is, is a heightened function of the enemy in deception. Now, growing up, I've grown up in church. I've sat through enough uh, end-time messages and end-time topics. I can remember churches that I was in that speakers would come and they would bring, they had these long flow charts that for me as a small child sitting in the pew would feel like it was flowing from me to the, that wall. They would have this long flow chart of biblical timelines and of Daniel's prophecies and different prophetic words that were given and things that Jesus would say. And they would try to pinpoint exactly where we were in that cycle. And, and they would say, well, I'd speculate this or I'd speculate that. And for me as a little one sitting in my pew, sitting in my seat with my parents, a lot of it, you know, I just, I, I was like, ooh, pictures. And I just, you know, see the pictures of what the, what the individuals were showing. But when I would think about end times and I would think about um, the, the final days, I would always think about somewhere way out in the future. Uh, my, my youth pastor used to show a video uh, called A Thief in the Night. Has anybody ever seen A Thief in the Night? Amen. <laughs> amen. I heard an amen. Uh, I think there's someone in here, if I know right, there's someone in here who has the whole collection on DVD or something like that. Uh, but the, the, the movie, The Thief in the Night, and it would portray the end times and it would portray believers standing up against the enemy and the deception of the enemy and the Antichrist and the, the mark of the beast and all these different things. And as a child, I used to look at it, and even in youth, I used to look at it and think, well, you know, that's something way out distant in the future. But it doesn't take much for you and I to look in the world today that we live, 
to look at the pandemic of the virus, to look at the pandemic of fear, to look at the hopelessness that people live with, to look at the upheaval of all sorts of different things, all of the things, don't even have time to fill in all the things that we see happening in our world today, to realize that when we talk about end times, we would be wise as followers of Jesus to not think about end times as something distant in the future, but to realize the reality of it right now. And to realize the reality and the importance for you and I to prioritize our faith in Jesus Christ, to prioritize our mindset being anchored in who Jesus is, and to prioritize our witness for Jesus in the world we live. And the enemy, the Bible says that the enemy, one of the great things that he wants to do, one of the tools that he wants to use against you is to deceive. And so we need to realize the first thing is that everyone is vulnerable. The second thing to keep in mind when it comes to understanding deception is that deception involves placing value on the wrong values. It involves using a a distorted value system. Look in uh, verse 18 one more time. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools. He says, by the standards of this age, by the values of this age, that it, what Paul is out calling out for these individuals, for these, these believers, he says, you think you're wise by the values of this age. He says, you're using the wrong value system. One of the ways that deception works in a life, the life of a follower of Jesus or really any individual's life is the enemy loves to get you to shift your value system so you're no longer looking at the same things the same way. You're using a very different value system. A, a great example of this would be seen in Genesis chapter three when it comes to how Satan tempted Adam and Eve and how he led them into sin. Genesis chapter three, I wanna read verses one through six, just the first part of verse six to help you get a picture of this. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? I want you just to see a few steps. First thing he says is, did God really say? So Satan kind of begins with a, a sideways question about what it is that God has said. He begins by a kind of a, a suggestion. He said, did God really say this? So he's, he's challenging her to perhaps think a little bit different. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So the first one we see Satan kind of brings in a a side, kind of a side suggestion as to what it is that God could have said. So then now listen to what he says. You will not certainly die. So he immediately directly challenges what it is that God has said. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from, your, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. But look back in verse five. He says Satan's promise or Satan's lure to her is he says that you will be like God. What we have to realize is, and if we remember the story, that Adam and Eve were created in God's image. And so Satan leads leads Eve and leads Adam into a place of deception where he convinces they need something that they already have. And he goes on to lead them to a place where they're looking and it says that she looked at the fruit and she saw that it was desirable, that it would work for food. And so he was able to get her to shift her value system, to get her value structure to see something completely different and to no longer remember her anchor point of who she is and who God has made her to be. 
And so when it comes to deception, the enemy loves to, to lead us to a place where we no longer value the, the, the things that, that matter to God and really matter to our faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to see one more place, and this is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. So Jesus is speaking to the churches in, in the end times in Revelation. He's calling out churches on areas of compromise. But look, look what he says. He says, you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So he says, your value system says, I'm rich, I have everything that I need, and I'm wealthy. But Jesus says, but through my, from my perspective, you do not realize that you're wretched, you're pitiful, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And so when it comes to deception, one of the things the enemy loves to do is he loves to get your value system twisted and turned and understanding what truly is right, what truly is wrong, what truly is, is uh, right by way of God's standards and God's purposes and distorting it. One of the things that I'll often see this play out in the life of a believer is the life of a believer who will have very established um, values, have very established uh, standards that they'll live by, but then the way the, the way the enemy has come in and begin to twist and turn and distort their mindset and distort the things that, that they value, distort their understanding of scripture, that before long he begins to lead them astray and has totally shifted without them even realizing it, that they're using a very different value system whether it be a compromised value system with the world, whether it be a kind of a blending of what scriptures teach and a blending of what, what might be socially acceptable and socially right, or even a distortion of scripture, but leading to a place where they don't even see and realize that. And that's one of the greatest dangers when it comes to deception is that when someone's deceived, they don't even often realize that they're deceived, that it takes a work and intervention both from God and from others in their lives. A third thing about deception that I would highlight from the passage where we've looked at this morning is that when it comes to deception, that it minimizes the Holy Spirit's work. That when we allow deception to be at work in our lives and when we give ourselves over to deception and continue to, to really live in it and flow it and, be, and becomes our perspective and our mindset, ultimately what we're doing is we're limiting the Holy Spirit or minimizing the Holy Spirit's work in us. Look in verse 19. It says, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. But that phrase, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. That whole idea that foolishness in God's sight, if you've been with us in this series, one of the things that we talked about earlier in the series is this whole idea of how, how the Corinthian church and the believers had become so caught up, so deceived on their own knowledge and their own understanding that, that he was really talking to them about their belief in, in the wisdom that Paul was bringing and, and the scriptures that he was presenting was really foolishness to them. And he goes on to use this back and forth of saying that, that to the world, the wisdom of God is foolish, but to God, he really sees the foolishness of the world. And so what Paul is identifying is that really when we, when we don't, when we give ourselves over to deception and continue to live in it and not allow God's truth to expose our hearts and to really bring our perspectives and our mindsets back into alignment with who he is, ultimately what we're doing is we're minimizing room for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. I think this can best be seen in, in uh, the previous chapter in verse uh, number 14, if you look in chapter two, verse 14, can you put that on screen? We looked earlier in this series, we talked about the different stages, the spiritual stages of an individual. We talked about where individuals were at, and this is one verse that we looked at, but it helps highlight the minimizing of the Holy Spirit's work when we become so settled in ourselves and our perspective and our mindset. It says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, 
but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It says the person without the Spirit or the, the natural person does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish. And in the language that, that Paul uses, one of the ways that we talked about this is the best way to picture it is that this person has, has closed up shop. They're, they're just not open to receiving things that the Holy Spirit would reveal, ways that he would speak, ways that he seeks to influence their life. And so when it comes to allowing deception into our lives and really when it's come and we, we continue to refuse to acknowledge it or, or recognize it, we are in a sense, minimizing the ability for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, that he continues to soften and shape and mold our hearts, mold our minds, and mold our perspectives. Really, the the filter and the lens that an individual who's deceived begins to live through is a filter of pride uh, and a filter of self, that their, their life, their focus, their perspective becomes the center of really what they will live with. The fourth thing when it comes to deception and understanding deception that we need to realize is that when it comes to deception is it isolates. As deception continues to play out in the life of a believer or in any any individual's life, the more ingrained and entrenched the individual gets in their perspective and in their mindset is that ultimately it leads to their isolation from others. One of the things we see, the, the issues that Paul is addressing to the Corinthian church is their division they're isolating themselves from other groups and they're, they're kind of pointing out where the others are wrong. But deception always isolates, which is one of the tools in the works of the enemy in our lives. He loves to steal, kill, and destroy. And so if he can separate you from the blessing of God of others, other believers in your life, that's what he'll do. And I've seen individuals get so caught up on their perspective and their mindset Whatever the view is that they have, whether it be a specific doctrine or specific focus or specific understanding, that they become so isolated that before long they begin to, to uh, they become so set on that deception that before long they begin to isolate themselves from others who disagree with them or are willing to try to reach out and, and speak life into them. So it isolates. Satan loves to deceive and to lead us to places of isolation. And then the last thing when it comes to deception and understanding deception is that it never fools God. That we can fool ourselves, we can fool others, uh, we can continue to see things as we want to see them, but what we have to realize is that when it comes to deception, is it never fools God. Look in verse number 20. It says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. It says, he catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. That he catches it, he sees it for what it is. That we can fool others, we can be so twisted and turned and fooled in our own understanding and mindset, but the truth is God always sees it and knows, sees it for what it is. That he always sees the real you. That God always sees the reality of who you are. And the truth is that God is always committed to bringing you about to a place of freedom. Whether it be dealing with deception, whether it be dealing with other matters and issues in your life, God's commitment is always to bring you to a place of freedom. And what I have found in life, both by way of experience and then also by way of, of pastoring other individuals, is that when we refuse and we say no, or we, we close our heart and our mind to God in this position, in this place, and we continue to refuse, then eventually God's working to try to break through gets a little bit stiffer and a little bit harder. His discipline becomes a little bit more direct. And I've seen God continue to work to try to break an individual down and bring them to a place of freedom. That he is so committed to our freedom. Uh, Sometimes we think that God is committed to our comfort. 
But he's not committed to our comfort. He's committed to our freedom. And when he's committed to our freedom, that means that he's willing to make us uncomfortable and deal with things that have consequences so that in turn we can come to a place of freedom and live in the design and the purpose and the life that he intends for us. Where Jesus said in John 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they have life and have it to the full. That is his purpose, and that is his aim in our lives as he continues to work. So what I would love to do this morning, just before we we close and dismiss, I'd love to share with you, I've told you some things about deception, but I'd love to share with you five ways that you can guard your heart and guard your mind against deception. The first one would simply be this, to be honest with your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, and your tendencies. To be honest with your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, and your tendencies. And that being honest means being honest with yourself, knowing those tendencies that you have, those places where you tend to give in, those places where you fold, those places where you struggle. Uh, Being honest with others, being very open and honest and transparent with others. Think having people that, that you've given permission to that can speak freedom and purpose into your life. I know for me, one of the the voices I value the most is my wife. And there's been many times where she'll come to me and she'll just, in the way that only she can, and and both in a gentleness and in in a directness, she'll speak to something in my life that I haven't seen or I don't realize. But it's having people that can can be real and and speak into your life uh, that you can be open with about your struggles, your weaknesses, and your tendencies. Uh, It also involves being open and real, not only with self and with others, but before God. I mean, that is the heart of repentance, is coming to this place of openness before God. And he sees it for what it is, but coming to into agreement and acknowledgement with him. That one of the things we've talked about often here when it comes to repentance is repentance is not just a matter of changing our direction. It begins by a changing of our mindset and agreement with God about what he sees as being the issue. That's that place of repentance. So it's being open and very real and transparent before God. But when it comes to this, this being real with ourselves, many times I think deceptions begin because we overestimate our strengths in our lives and we underestimate our weaknesses. But I want you to see what Paul gave young Timothy as, by way of instruction when it came to awareness to self. Can you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4? He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. It says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Uh, a different translation, or maybe a little more literal translation would say, he says, keep a close eye on yourself. Put an eye on yourself. Be very mindful and alert and aware to those areas that we drift. Uh, in the Hebrews, to the Hebrews, the writer says to them, he says to, to uh, not drift away, to be mindful of those areas that you tend to drift. And so one of the first steps to guarding our hearts against deception is being real and open and transparent with God, being real and open and transparent with others, but being very real and open and transparent with yourself. Uh, Being open and recognizing those areas where you struggle, those areas where you tend to drift, those areas where perhaps by way of mindset and perspective, you realize that you've not been open and honest and true before God and before others and with yourself. Second step, I think, that can guard our hearts against Deception is a willingness to be teachable. Being teachable. Being, having a heart and a life that can be molded and can be spoken to. The entire letter of 1 Corinthians, or almost all the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, is a letter of correction. Paul is calling out believers who have really allowed deception 
and compromise to get mixed in with their faith. And it's such a great reminder of the importance of correction in our lives. And that, again, can come through others, but I think the first area of correction that we need to continually welcome in our lives is the correction that God's word can bring. That his word can be liberating and perspective shifting when we allow the Holy Spirit to take it and use it. And so I just, I would encourage you when it comes to your devotional life, to not just do our devotionals, devotions, reading scripture, just to do it, to say we've done it, but if it means going slower and just walking away with something that God can use in our life, then so be it. Just letting him have room to speak and to reveal into our lives. I was talking with someone uh, in recent weeks and we were talking about the importance of scripture and its influence in our lives. And, and what I talked about, I really related it to, an indi- to when an individual has to have dialysis. And I've had family members who have to have dialysis because of kidney issues and friends I know of who've had. But when it comes to an, in- an individual who needs to have dialysis because there's a kidney issue, that there's toxins that build up in their system that that dialysis then comes and purges out. And not only does it purge out those, those toxins that are ultimately deadly to the body, but it also makes sure there's a the right balance of the, of the right chemicals, the healthy chemicals that are there. Uh, whether Things like potassium and other things that, that the body needs, but needs in a certain balance and proportion. And so when it comes to dialysis, not only does it, does it remove the toxins, but it makes sure the right things are there. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, I think a simple illustration and example would be when it comes to God's word, it's much like that dialysis working on a failed kidney. It's, it's allowing God's word to come and to expose and to re- remove those toxins, those things that we've allowed to settle into our mindsets, to settle into our perspectives, to settle into our worldviews, and then allowing the right things to be there so that when we, when we're, when we go into the rest of our world and we're going into a world and a culture that is set against the things of God, that we can go into our world and our culture with a mindset and an understanding and a perspective that's anchored in eternal truth, not cultural truth. But it begins by allowing God's word to teach us, to guide us, to, to reveal in us the deficiencies and the things that, that need to take place. A third thing that I would encourage you with when it comes to guarding your heart against deception, and this goes right hand in hand with being teachable, is cultivate humility. Cultivate humility. Seize every opportunity to grow in humility. Seize every opportunity to think less of yourself and more of others. And I use that word cultivate because cultivate, uh, when it comes to cultivating soil or cultiv- for gardening or for farming, it's, it's something that involves hands-on work and labor. That it's something that involves effort. And it's a reminder that for you and I in our lives, humility is not something that comes naturally. In fact, our natural drift is away from humility, not towards it. Our natural drift is towards pride and selfishness and self, uh, focused on self rather than selflessness and humility. And so look to cultivate humility whenever possible. And James, it talks about this in James 4, 6. It says this, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes or some translations would say God resists the proud but shows favor to the humble. God resists or sets himself opposite or opposes those who are proud but shows favor to the humble. So cultivate humility. That I really believe that it's attractive to the work of God in our lives, that humility is, is attractive to the blessing and the favor of God upon our lives. So we cultivate humility and forth. Stay connected to the community of believers. The, the, uh, when it comes to the series that we've looked at in years past, and you can find these all online, 
But one of the series we did about a year ago, maybe a year ago this past winter, we did a series called um, Why Church Still Matters. And we talked about the importance of the local gathering of believers in the life and the faith of a believer. It's this awareness and realizing that your faith matters and my faith and my faith matters in your faith and that journey together for us growing together in our following Jesus Christ and serving him. One of the things that we talked about in that series was the, the importance of how God uses the community of believers to shape who we are, to shape our faith, to shape our following him, uh, to shape our perspective, to shape our worldview. All these number of things, seeing how God uses the community of believers in, in the growth of our faith together. And so I really believe the more we're disconnected from a community of believers, the more vulnerable we are to the deception and the play of the enemy. That's why I would encourage those who are watching online, I am so grateful for the gift that we have to connect with you every morning through live stream, every Sunday morning through live stream, uh, and so grateful for this opportunity, realizing that it, it meets people where they're at by way of uh, things with the health concerns and, and location. But let me encourage you not to make your live stream your final permanent solution to gathering together. It's something that we do for this season, and it's something we'll continue to always offer. But there is value. There's importance to being connected together as the followers of Jesus Christ together as a community of faith. And so I just encourage you in that and remember that, that when... Uh, one of the best ways to guard against deception is to stay connected to the community of believers. And then the, the last thing that I would give you, and then we'll close by receiving communion together, is to regularly invite the Holy Spirit to work. To regularly invite the Holy Spirit to work. When I wrote out these points originally, I, I put daily invite the Holy Spirit to work, but I scratched that and I put regularly because to say daily to me is too infrequent. Just to say, do it once a day and then move on, but regularly invite the Holy Spirit to work. Use every opportunity that you can to invite the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. Did you realize that the Holy Spirit can reveal in a second what you can't see in a lifetime? That he can reveal in your life in a second things that you won't see your entire life. That he, the Bible tells us in Ephesians that he brings things that are in darkness into light. In 1 Corinthians 5, he, and 4, he talks, about, he talks about him being able to judge and discern the motives and the hearts of men and women, that he can discern those things. The Holy Spirit's continued work in us, his commitment is to continue to eliminate and expose sin in us and bring us into greater alignment with the character and nature of Jesus Christ. That's his commitment. The Holy Spirit wants to be to you what Jesus was to his disciples, and so it's allowing him and regularly inviting him to work in us. That means we invite him into the struggles of our day. That means he, you invite him into the struggles of your parenting. That means you invite him into the struggles and your temptations and your failures. That means you invite him in for wisdom when it comes to workplace decisions. That means you invite him in when you're at a crossroad and really don't know what to do. That means we regularly invite the Holy Spirit into work and to, to really have his way within us. A couple of weeks ago, Ernie Lay stood here and as he talked about just what he shared for our dads, one of the things he said that stuck with, stuck with me is he talked about that place of daily surrender, just daily surrendering and yielding over to God. And that is that really regularly inviting the Holy Spirit to work. It's this yielding and surrendering so that he can reveal to us the things that only he can see. Listen how the psalmist says it in Psalm 139. And I want to read it out. This is out of a different translation than we normally read on a Sunday morning. But it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And if you could go ahead and, and flip ahead. 
Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It says, point out anything in me that offends you. God, help me to see the things in my life that offend you that I can't see. Help me to see the things in my perspective, the things that I've chosen to hold on to that I don't see, but they offend you. Help me to see the things, the little compromises along the way that are not consistent with your holy nature that offend you, but don't bother me because I've become so comfortable with it. Help me to see those things. That's that prayer of inviting the Holy Spirit to regularly work. And I have found that the more I pray that prayer, the more he chooses to answer it. The more he'll continue to refine and reveal and expose. And that might mean a simple prompting that comes your way when you're about to do something or say something. And it's recognizing when you see that little, that gentle prompting on the inside, you recognize it and you follow it. That's the Holy Spirit's leading to lead you away from the things that, that offend him and more into the things that are consistent with who he is and his nature within our lives. And so what I'd love to do this morning is just take a second and to pray over you and to pray over my heart and life and then we'll receive communion together. So why don't we pray? And really, just before I pray, as every head is bowed and every eye closed, no one's looking around, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, we are just so grateful that you've chosen to be with us today. And um, one of the things that we do is we never take for granted your spiritual condition. We realize that of all the different things that we give care to when it comes to our physical condition, things like we've talked about today with the, the guidelines we've put in place and those things, those are all things to help care for your physical condition. But our highest priority is not your physical condition, it's your spiritual condition. And in that priority, we realize that just because you're here, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily in right relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us that we enter into right relationship with him by a place of trusting our fa placing our faith or trusting him. And that begins by that place of repentance. I talked about that earlier. Acknowledging our sin before God. Not trying to skirt around it. Not just trying to say, well, God, you just take me like, it, like I am. But he, it's recognizing there's issues in us that are not pleasing to God and, and, and we need that relationship with him. So we come into that place of repentance we agree with him about our sin, but then we confess. We acknowledge our need for Jesus Christ. And as we confess and acknowledge that need for him, the Bible says one of the, the amazing things the Holy Spirit does, the one we talked about today, is that he takes up residence on the inside and he begins to work on you from the inside out. That he begins to create his nature, his, his rightness, his righteousness inside of you. And as he begins to do that, he renews our minds, he renews our lives. And he begins to lead us out of those things that are not consistent with the nature of who Jesus is. And if you're here this morning, whether you're watching online, you can leave a comment, send a, an email to us, and we would love to reach out to you further in regards to that decision. If you're here in this room, I just encourage you after service, I'm going to be outside or some of the other pastors will be outside. You feel free to find one of us. Let us know about that decision you made in Christ and we'd love to pray with you and talk with you further or even just sharing with a friend, someone you came this morning, came with this morning, share with them about that decision that you've made in following Jesus. And then I wanna pray. So Father, we come to you. And Father, right now, we invite your spirit to work in us. We invite you to reveal in us the things that we can't see. And show us the places where the enemy has worked with his deception the way the enemy has twisted our thinking, twisted our understanding, places where he's caused distrust in us towards you and towards others. 
And we invite you right now, Holy Spirit, to help us see the things that you want us to address. We pray that not only would you free our lives and our mindsets of deception, but that you would bring in us a greater desire for more of you, a greater desire for your holy nature to be revealed in us, to be formed in us. We invite you to bring us into greater alignment with who Jesus is. So right now, we yield our hearts to you, we yield our minds to you, we give our lives to you, and we invite you to work in us in ways that only you can. 